Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Well, we're coming off of another uh, Thanksgiving holiday season. Thanksgiving, I hope you all got your fill of food, and I hope you, uh, you know, we're probably to the place where we're, you know, we, we just, we had our fill. Had our fill of turkey, had our fill of dressing, had our fill of pumpkin pie, and certain family members, you know, we've had our fill, right? <laughs> And uh, we kind of come off this weekend, and we're ready to jump back into life. But, um, and even turning our attention to Christmas, right? You know, there's some of you that um, just, you're ready. You probably hit the Christmas music as soon as, you know, it hit midnight. You hit the Christmas music, which is fine. It's in the right context. It's okay. You know, not like you weirdos who listen to it in July and things like that. And take, take the uniqueness out of the Christmas season. But we're ready to move on, right? You know, Christmas or Thanksgiving is over. We've seen tons of football and probably ready to get back to work and ready to move on to the next holiday season which is coming up soon which is Christmas because that's the Christian holiday right along with Easter and Christmas are the Christian holidays but before you move on this morning I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you and I want to show you that Thanksgiving is just as spiritual and as Christian of a holiday as Christmas and Easter are if we put it in the right context. Before you move on to the rest of what comes with Christmas, I don't want you to forget Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving in our hearts and our lives is so incredibly, vitally important. So this morning, I know we're already done with the holiday, but I want to take you back a little bit today. And I want to just briefly talk about where Thanksgiving come from and why we celebrate it. And most of us probably heard the stories in elementary school, but back in 1621, there was European settlers and Native Americans, and they got together and have what we generally consider to be the first Thanksgiving, um, where they came together and they feasted and they played games and they gave thanks to God for the harvest. And while this is considered the first Thanksgiving, the reality of it is the Puritans, the, the pilgrims, the settlers, uh, they based their entire culture and their lifestyle around the Lord. They were very pious people. In fact, if you ever study their culture and their history and how they celebrated like uh, Sunday or how they celebrate, yeah, how they celebrate Sundays, I mean, it was very legalistic and they were very, very um, regimented people, but they loved the Lord. And so they would actually, they had times of Thanksgiving just kind of built into their everyday flow and rhythm. And so sometimes if there was a drought that had broke, they, that would break, they would have a day of Thanksgiving and they would have celebration or if they had a victory in war they would have celebration or if it was about this time of the year when the harvest had came in they would have a time of Thanksgiving to the Lord because that was just kind of how they lived their life so so when they when when they had that meeting with the Native Americans that wasn't just like a one special one-time thing for them Um, it wasn't even a yearly thing I mean that was just part of their natural rhythm of life where they just had Thanksgiving built into what they did and who they were well, the holidays we come to know it today was actually attributed to a lady by the name of Sarah Joseph Hale, who was a writer who spent 30 years campaigning for a national Thanksgiving holiday. And then finally, uh, in 18, I believe it was 1863, I didn't write, oh yeah, I did. 1863, she had written a letter to Abraham Lincoln and asked for it to be made a national holiday, which he said he would. And uh, his reason for doing that or what it represented, uh, according to Abraham Lincoln, is he said that Thanksgiving would be a time when uh, the, the, we would ask, we would thank God and ask him to heal a divided nation. So Thanksgiving was set aside as a time to thank God. That's what it was. That's what it's been from the beginning. Thanksgiving has been a time to thank 
God. And, and I love Thanksgiving for a lot of reasons, same as you. I mean, the obvious reasons for having time off of just the regular routine of life and spending time with family and having good food and getting together. But what I really love about Thanksgiving is the why behind the traditions. And I don't think we think about it enough, but Thanksgiving at its core is a time to stop and take a break from life and reflect on all the good things that God has given us and to be thankful. Giving thanks is an incredibly spiritual practice. It goes back thousands of years. If you look at the Old Testament, there was times when God, I mean, he literally built into the worship culture of the Israelis when, they were, when he was setting them up as a nation and telling them, these are your laws and this is how you're going to live and this is how you're going to approach me and worship me. Part of that rhythm that they had established by God was times of thanksgiving. There was feasts of thanksgiving and there was there were sacrifices of thanksgiving and thanksgiving was a part of their routine and their ritual and their life and how they lived and that's why i love thanksgiving because if god built it into that culture and into them and into their society it was meant for us but yet at the same time i don't think we practice it nearly as much as we should and i think it's one of those things in most christians life that is underutilized and underpracticed when it comes to us but i don't think what i don't think we understand the power of being thankful and the power of gratitude to the Lord and the power of thanking Him. I think if we understood the power of what Thanksgiving can do in our lives, I think we would do it a whole lot more. And so that's what I want to show you today is how powerful Thanksgiving can be. If you take it, I titled this Beyond the Feast, and then Pastor Dave said, oh, does that mean we're done with the foodies uh, series and so we're going beyond the feast? I said, no, Pastor Dave. Um, Beyond the feast just means we're going to take, let's take Thanksgiving beyond just Thanksgiving and make it a part of our team because it is so powerful. So first thing I want to share with you this morning is that Thanksgiving has the power to produce contentment. Contentment. So I looked up contentment in the dictionary and here's what the definition is. It's a state of satisfaction, being fulfilled, and being whole. That's contentment. Sometimes to understand a word, the best thing you can do is take the opposite of the word that you're trying to define and define that. And the Bible has a lot to say about the opposite of contentment. The opposite of contentment would be discontentment or another synonym for that would be greed, right? And uh, the definition for greed is a selfish and excessive desire for more of something than is needed, insatiable covetousness. So contentment has this idea of just being fulfilled, being satisfied, and I'm good. I don't need anything else. I'm good. I'm happy. I'm content. But greed has this thought with it that there's ne you'll never have enough. Like you can get it, get it, get it, get it, get it, but you'll never have enough of it. That's greed. So you have contentment on one hand, you have greed on the other hand. And I'll tell you what, as Americans, it is very hard to be content. I'm a fan of capitalism just as much as probably anybody in this room, but living in a nation that's, that, that, that's built on making sales tends to groom us in greed. And here's what I mean. We get bombarded as Americans by messages that tell us we need to have something. We get bombarded by messages that tell us that what we have is not enough. And sometimes those messages tell us that who we are is not enough. That if we only had this service or this product, then we would be whole and we'd be made new. And so living in a world like that where you're getting bombarded by those messages every time you turn around, I mean, you used to be able to watch YouTube without ads, but those days are long gone, right? You get bombarded all of the time with these messages and all the time with these ads telling you that you need more and that it's not enough and what you have is not enough. And like I said, sometimes who you are is not even 
enough. It's very hard to be content when you're getting that message day in and day out. And I'll give you an example of this. Um, I have an iPhone 13, I think. Right? Is that what we have? Yeah, 13. I have an iPhone 13. See, I don't even know because they're all the same. I have an iPhone 13. My iPhone 13 is perfectly good. It's great. The camera's fine. I love pretty much everything about it. Unlike Android phones, it works all the time. It's great, okay? So I've got my iPhone 13, and it's working fine. But what happens every year in September? Does any Apple, Apple fanboy or fangirl out there know? Every year in September, what happens? Apple introduces the new iPhone, right? And so we have this phone. It works perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's great. But then the new one comes out. I'm like, oh, man, I need the new iPhone. The camera is 0.2 megapixels bigger than the one that I have. It's 15% faster than the one that I have. And the new one, the 15, you know what it has? It's titanium. <laughs> That's the stuff they put on the spaceship, man. I need that. Can I tell you a secret this morning? 50% of it's still glass. The most breakable substance on earth, right? So it's titanium, it's indestructible. But if I drop it, which I don't know about you, but when I drop my phone, it's like dropping the piece of, of peanut butter bread. It's always gonna land peanut butter face down. My phone is never gonna land on the titanium part. It's always gonna land on the breakable glass part, right? So we're happy and we're excited and we're satisfied with what we have, but man, something new and shiny comes out and I gotta have it. Those are the kind of things that we get bombarded with all the time and it's because it very hard as an American to be content. Makes it very hard for us not to be greedy for something that we don't have or don't have enough of. The Bible has something to say about contentment. It's found in 1 Timothy verse 6, 6 through 8. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we can be content with that. So the Bible's telling us that contentment is where it's at. I think if you asked 100 people if they wanted to be content, I think you'd probably get 100 people that would say, yeah, I want to be content. I want to be satisfied and whole. So then the question is, how does thankfulness get us to contentment? What does that have to do with contentment? Well, thankfulness focuses our hearts on what we have, while greed focuses our hearts on what we don't have. Have you ever noticed that if you spend a lot of time on Amazon or on eBay or in the store, you want more stuff. Have you ever noticed that? Like, I don't really know that I need things, but then I have this habit of cruising down the clearance aisle at Walmart. I do it, my, like, I can't not do it anymore. My kids know. Like, they sit and they watch me as we go by the clearance aisle, and I get down to, like, where the shampoo is, and I'm like, I'm going to go to the clearance aisle, right? And I find things in the clearance aisle that I don't really need, but they're such a stinking good deal that I can't say no, Right? We get that way. When, we keep, when, you look at, um, when you look at ads or when you look at it, you spend a lot of time perusing Amazon or one of the Chinese sites, you know, you find things and you're like, oh man, I want that. Did you know that you needed it or wanted it, needed to have it before that? No, not at all. Were you completely content and satisfied before you looked at it? Yes. But you saw it and you want it so bad because now you need it, Right? It's this idea that you're, you're feasting on stuff and you're feeding yourself a diet of stuff. And there's something I want to confirm for some of you today that you may have suspected for a very long time. And that is that Black Friday is, in fact, 
of the devil? <laughs> and we laugh, but there's truth behind it. I mean, think about this. We have this holiday set aside in America that every, everybody has to, basically, every business basically has to, they don't have to, but you know, they mostly are shut down, so that we can set time aside to be thankful for what we have. And then what happens on Friday? Boom! You don't have enough. Go get some stuff. I got great deals for you. I mean, you know, we laugh about it, and it is funny, but I'll tell you what, there's a spirit of greed that is beating up on Thanksgiving, and I'm not kidding. Like, it, it really is. I mean, what does the enemy want more than us? Uh, he doesn't want us to be content. He doesn't want us to be thankful. You don't want to spend, he doesn't want us to spend too much time in thankfulness, and so boom, he hits us with, and I don't know how many of you remember back in the day before, before COVID when people used to line up in stores for hours and they used to fight over products. Do you guys remember that? I mean, it was like the worst of humanity on display and that was coming right off of the heels of we're going to be thankful. And then all of a sudden people are ripping each other's hair out to get, you know, a TV. It's just crazy. Uh, the, the enemy has got this idea that, you know, he can disrupt our contentment with greed and he does, Right? He knows the power of thankfulness and he knows that it makes us content and so he throws this thing on us that makes us want to be greedy. So what happens that we can help this, this problem out in our lives because there's this principle that says if you, whatever you feed on is going to produce your state of mind. So if you're feeding on ads, if you're feeding on Amazon, if you're just spending your time just shopping or even better yet, if you're on social media and we beat up on this a lot but it needs to get beat up on a little bit if you're if you're on social media and you're just spending your time scrolling through people's pictures of people that look like they have more stuff than you what happens you get this idea in your heart that something's wrong with you or that you got a bad lot in life or that you know you're you just you become discontent you start feeling sorry for yourself because well why does that person have a new camper they're not even i'm a lot better person than they are why in the world do i not have a new camper why can't i afford that and we spend our time feasting on these things that bring us discontentment, these things that bring us into a place of greed, of wanting more, of being insatiable, of never being able to be fulfilled. Or we spend our time on Amazon, we feed ourselves this, and as we feed ourselves this, what's produced is greed, and what's produced is discontentment. On the other side of the coin, what if you're feeding yourself thankfulness? What if you're living on a steady diet of saying, thank you, God, Thank you, Lord, for the things you've given me. Thank you, God, for my car. God, I probably have shared this story before, but God dropped this in my heart years ago. I was, I was in my car, and I don't drive amazing cars because I don't like debt. And so I'm, I'm driving my car, and it's, you know, it's old, and it's got some issues. And, uh, you know, this dude pulls up to me in a brand-new Dodge Charger, and I'm like, man, why can't I have a car like that? That thing is like, it's got, you know, good, it probably, you know, probably didn't get better gas mileage, but in my mind it did. Like, it gets better gas mileage, and it's nicer than mine, and it's faster than my car, and it's got better interior, and the air conditioning actually works in that one, and, you know, I'm going through, going down the list, and, and, and so we go to the next light. At the next light, um, you know, so I'm feeling bad for myself, right? And at the next light, this uh, Dodge Neon pulls up beside me, and it's just a piece of junk. I mean, just a piece of junk. And I look over at it, and God drops in my heart, why aren't you comparing your car to that car? And then I started comparing my car to that car. And I said, thank you, Lord, for my car. It's awesome. It gets me where I need to go. It does a great job, and I, I, I'm completely satisfied. 
So you feed yourself. It's what you feed yourself. Are you living on a diet of thankfulness or are you living on a diet of what the world is throwing at you? These messages that you're not enough and you don't have enough. What are we choosing to feed ourselves? Because when we're living on a diet of thankfulness, it produces contentment and we're happy and we're okay. You know, and we're not comparing ourselves to someone on social media. We're not comparing the best of what they have to the worst of what we have because that's what happens when we do that. And I'm not saying social media is all bad, it's not. But we just continue, we, Satan uses that in our lives to produce discontentment. So feed yourself a steady diet of thankfulness. You know, some of the things you can, and you might say, man, I don't have a lot to be thankful for, but I, I, I bet you do and you don't think about it. Thank you, God, for a roof over my head. Thank you, God, for indoor plumbing. Do you know that most royalty throughout history, 90% of the kings and queens that have lived throughout history have not had indoor plumbing? You live better than 90% of the kings and queens that live throughout history. You have indoor plumbing and you have indoor heat and cool. Most all of us do. You live better than most of the royalty that's lived in this world. Thank you, Lord, for indoor plumbing. Thank you, Lord, that I'm one of the richest people on earth. You might think, holy cow, hold on, Pastor Jared, hold on. And I'm not saying everybody here is the same economic state. Obviously, we know that that's not true, but... If you look at from 20, I, I punched in the numbers for 2021, the annual or the median household income of a family in the Des Moines area in 2021, I, I took that number and I put it up against the, uh, the world, okay? And what I found is if you make the median income, if you're just an average family living in the Des Moines area, you were in the top 7.2% of money earners in the world. But we don't think about that, do we? We think about, why am I not like Elon Musk? Why do I not have the billions? Why am I not the person who's making millions? Why am I not, you know, we, we look at these ultra-rich people and we think that's the norm. That's not the norm. If you want to look at the norm, look in the third world countries where they make $25,000 a year and their kids go to bed starving. That's the norm. Thank you, Lord, that I'm one of the richest people on earth. And then gratitude starts overflowing into uh, generosity. Lord, how can I use this to help other people? So Thanksgiving produces contentment. What else is Thanksgiving? What else does it have the power to do? It has the power to produce perseverance. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Give thanks in all. Everybody say all. All, all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The man who penned these words, the Apostle Paul, was the same Paul who was beaten, shipwrecked, put into prison, stoned, whipped for the gospel, for doing all of the right things he got beat down. He was starved. He was shipwrecked. He had lots and lots of circumstances that were incredibly, incredibly bad. Most of those experiences none of us will ever have to see in this life. Thank you, Lord. But he said, Thank, give thanks. When? In all circumstances. Don't wait for the circumstance to be right to dictate your thankfulness. Let your thankfulness dictate your circumstance. There's a lot of people in the Bible who practice thankfulness in hard circumstances. Let's take a look at a couple of them this morning. There was, the first one was Jonah. Jonah gave thanks when there was no way out. He was in the belly of a fish. He was disobedient to God. It was his own fault, but he gave thanks. And when he did, it turned the entire situation around. Who else gave thanks in the midst of crazy circumstances? Jesus gave thanks when there wasn't enough. Jesus found himself in a crowd of people, maybe 10,000 plus hungry people and had very little food. But what did he do? He took the food. He gave thanks, he broke it, and God multiplied it. So there was all these people, and there wasn't enough, and Jesus gave thanks. Who else? 
Paul. Paul, like I talked about, Paul gave thanks in the middle of a storm. Hadn't eaten for 14 days. He was on the sea with a bunch of sailors. He was on a ship going to Rome. And uh, everybody's freaked out. These sailors who were career sailors were freaked out because they thought they were going to die after 14 days. And Paul said, hey, chill out. I got a word from the Lord. We're all going to survive. He gave thanks and they ate to get their strength up in the middle of a raging storm. One more. Daniel gave thanks in the middle of persecution. So there's this guy, Daniel, and what happened was, again, he was doing all the right things, but these guys had, had uh, gotten jealous of him, and they wanted to get rid of him. And so they, they tricked the king of that time into signing a decree that if anyone prayed to any other god except to the king, Nebuchadnezzar was his name, if anybody, if anybody prayed to any, anyone other than Nebuchadnezzar, they'd be thrown into a pit of lions. And here's what was cool about Daniel. He knew about the plot. And after, the Bible says, after he had heard about this, he went up to his room, threw the windows open so people would hear him, and he looked towards Jerusalem, and he gave thanks like he always had three times a day. He gave thanks to the Lord, and he ended up in the lion's pit, and then he got delivered by the Lord. Most of us know that situation, but you're in a crazy circumstance this morning. I understand, and I'm not making light of circumstances, because go ahead and leave that slide up there. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. You're in a crazy circumstance this morning. I get it. I really do. And, there's, and I'm not making light of your circumstance because there's real stuff that people in this congregation this morning or online are going through. But are you in a circumstance when there's no way out? Are you in a circumstance where you don't have enough? Are you in the middle of a storm this morning? Are you in the middle of persecution? Are people coming after you? Give thanks. All circumstances. Give thanks in every single season of life. Our circumstances, like I said before, should never dictate our thankfulness. There's a, there's a great example of this. I, have you guys heard the, the hymn, Blessed Assurance, before? Yeah? This is the part where Pastor Barry would sing in the sermon. He, he told me the other day that he never gets an opportunity to sing, and I said, well, you sing almost every time you preach, so <laughs> you do have opportunities to sing. <clears throat> Blessed assurance, this is my story, this is my song, praising my... No, I'm not even going to try. Um, <laughs> verse 3 of Blessed Assurance says this, Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness, lost in His love. So you're looking at that verse and you're thinking, man, the person who wrote this is at rest. The person who wrote this feels blessed and happy and filled with goodness. So you look at that and you're like, man, that person must have an amazing life. They must have had amazing circumstances. Well, the truth couldn't be further from that because this hymn was written by a lady named Fanny Crosby who at six weeks old was blinded by a doctor who didn't know what he was doing essentially and prescribed the wrong treatment and left her blind at six weeks old. She was never bitter about it. In fact, she was thankful for her blindness. She actually said that it caused her to write hymns that she would not have otherwise written because she would have been distracted by the sight of a beautiful world. Pretty awesome, right? At eight years old, she wrote this poem. Oh, what, oh, what a happy soul am I, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I should be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and to sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. At eight years old, blind. The name of that poem was Thankful. We, our circumstances don't need to dictate our thankfulness, right? 
We can give thanks in all circumstances. So, Pastor Jared, how does thankfulness produce perseverance? Well, here's how it works. When you're going through something, and you have two ways of, you basically have two ways of looking at those circumstances when you're going through something. Because you can, you can, you can walk through, through hard circumstances and suffer, and then you can walk through hard circumstances and you can suffer well. There's two ways of looking at it. You can either look at your circumstance and say, why me? Why did this happen? I didn't deserve this. I didn't do anything for this to happen to me. Oh, woe is me, and, and pity yourself. And again, I'm not making light of your circumstances because there's very hard circumstances that people walk through, okay? I, I don't make light of that. But there's another way of walking through circumstances that take, because when you do that, when you, when you, when you look internally in your circumstances, you, you're looking at yourself and you're looking at your resources, you're looking at your strength and you're looking at your power and your ability to, to get yourself through that. And let's face it, we're limited, right? But there's another way of walking through hard circumstances where we take our eyes off of us and our situation and we put our eyes up to the Lord. And we say, thank you, God, and we start thanking him for the things in our life that he has done for us and the places that he's brought us. And when we do that, we take our eyes off of our circumstances and our limited uh, resources and our limited strength, and we bring it to a God who has limitless strength, limitless resources. He's got everything we need to bring us through. Right? And here's one cool thing. Here's, here's another cool thing, and I like to do this as a part of my regular prayer routine. Take yourself back in your life. And start thanking God for the things in your life that in the times that he's came through, you know, and I'll make this part of my regular prayer routine. I'll just kind of give you an example. I'll say to my, I might say in my prayer when I, when I do this exercise, I do it fairly often, but I'll say, thank you, Lord, for my, my parents. Thank you, God, for giving me two great loving parents who were there for me. Thank you, God, for moving situations and circumstances around in my parents' life so that they bought a house that was right next to a crazy Jesus lady. Thank you, Lord, for that crazy Jesus lady, her name was Carol, who loved me so much that she didn't stop witnessing to me, even though I really, really wanted her to lots of times, okay? Lord, thank you so much for bringing mentors into my life, and I start naming mentors in my life, and people who believed in me when I didn't believe in myself, and I say, thank you, Lord, for that time when I wrecked my car, and literally that night, you provided me with a, with a, with a with a totally new, different car. I was going to say new. It was new to me. But thank you, Lord, for a brand new car that night. And I didn't even have a, a day where I went without a car. And then I'd start thanking him for his provision. And all of a sudden, you know what happens? My circumstances start to diminish. And my God starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, the shadow, God's shadow in my circumstances makes it look like nothing. Because I realize and I remember and I start, it builds my faith to say, I start thanking God and I remember, oh yeah, he came through for, for me here. He came through for me here. He came through for me here. And if he came through that many times, he's going to come through, through for me right now. And I'm looking at my God and I'm saying, thank you, Lord. And my thanks is building my faith to go through the circumstance. That's how thanksgiving produces perseverance so that we can walk through it knowing that he's taking care of us. So, thanksgiving produces what? Contentment? Thanksgiving and the power of Thanksgiving produces perseverance. And lastly, Thanksgiving has the power to produce faith. In Joshua chapter 6, actually a little bit in verse 5, verse 6, we see the Israeli army and they are up against this fortress city called Jericho. And uh, Jericho is employing the greatest technology that they had back in those days for defense and that were walls. They had 
huge walls. In fact, the walls were evidently so big that they could have chariot races around the top. That's how wide and thick these walls were. It was impenetrable. Nobody could do anything against it. And so that was their very first uh, foe that they came up against when they came to the promised land. I mean, that was a big one, you know. It's Jericho. It's huge. And they're getting ready to fight this battle. I, I'm, I don't know if they know what they're doing. I'm guessing not because Joshua is praying and probably saying, Lord, how in the world am I going to defeat this city, you know? All they have to do is shut the gate, and that's it. And as he's praying, the angel of the Lord, most scholars believe it was the Lord because Joshua worshipped him and, and the angel allowed it, which angels usually don't do. So most people think it's the Lord. So the, the Lord shows up to, Jer- to Joshua and he says, Joshua, Jericho and, and everybody in it, I've delivered them into your hands. He said, but, and, and here's your strategy. Here's what I want you to do. For the next seven days, I want you to, or for the next six days, I want you to walk around the city one time. I want you to put the priests and the ark in the front of the procession, and I want you to have the army walk around the wall one time each day for six days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to do it seven times, and then you're going to blow the horns, and you're going to give a loud shout, and I'll deliver the city in your hands. So they did it, right? They went around. But, but what's crazy about that strategy is this. When you go to battle, um, you generally don't put your musicians in the front, right? That's kind of a bad strategy. <laughs> They're not very good. <laughs> they haven't been trained, and trombones uh, are not as good as guns, right? Um, they put their musicians, they put their... So, so the priests and the Ark of the Covenant had one function in the, in the Israeli society, worship. That's the function of that. That's what their function was. So what, what was God telling them? He, he was symbolically saying, what I want you to do is put your worship first. Put your praise first. And then he puts the rest of the army behind him. This is advanced level Christianity, okay? This is advanced stuff that I'm telling you this morning. When God speaks and gives you a word, it's as good as done. When did Israel defeat Jericho? Israel did not defeat them when the walls came down. Israel defeated them seven days prior when the Lord said, I have given you Jericho. God's word is reality. Now, we talked about this, and and I did a whole series on the kingdom, but we live in two kingdoms. We live in the kingdom of the world. We live in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is reality. And God's word is reality. I mean, think about it. He said, let there be light. What happened? There was light. And he spoke the world into existence. God's voice is the most powerful thing in the world. The universe, in fact. So when God decrees something, it's done. In the kingdom, it's already done. It takes sometimes a little bit of time for our world to catch up to God's word. But when God says it, it's as good as done. So what am I saying? So I'm saying this. If God has given you a word about something, you can praise him, you can thank him, you can worship him before you physically see it. And the act of that builds your faith incredibly. And that doesn't mean be presumptuous, right? That doesn't mean, oh God, I want to thank you for that Porsche that's sitting in my garage. God, I want to thank you for that brand new Chevy 1500 sitting in my garage. Lord, I want to thank you for that brand new Jeep Wrangler sitting in my garage. That's stupid, okay? Unless God told you to. Unless God said, I'm going to give you a Jeep Wrangler. Okay, that's fine. Um, But some people take it to that level and that extreme where they're like, oh God, thank you for, no, that's just your own selfish wants and desires, whatever. But if God has given you a word, you can stand on it as truth. And you can thank him 
before you actually see it come to pass. And what's cool about that, when you thank him, it builds your faith. I, can't, I can imagine that as they were going around the city of Jericho every single day, and they were thanking God for what he has already done, that it had to have built their faith. Like, we've got the ark, we've got the priest, the worship is there, the thanks and the praise and the, and the, and the glory to God is already there, and like, God's going to do this, and they're getting hyped, and they're getting hyped for the seventh, wait till the seventh day, man, wait to see what God's going to do, and then bam, and the seventh day, the walls just came tumbling down, because they thanked God, they put the worship before they actually physically saw it take place, so... That is, like I said, advanced level Christianity, and that doesn't always apply to every circumstance, but if God's given you a word, man, stand on it. Stand on it. And it, it brings glory and it brings honor to him when you do that. Well, this morning, I'm actually getting done kind of early, which is pretty awesome. But uh, as, we, as I close this morning, there's a couple things I want to leave you with. You know, I hope, I hope I've showed you this morning that incorporating intentional gratitude in your life can change you. It has a power to literally change your life if you'll incorporate it this way. And there have been, and I didn't even cite them this morning because I've done it before in, in times past when I've talked about thankfulness because it's, a, it's a, something I love to bring up because it's a great practice. But there are gobs of studies that have been done on thankfulness, not by Christians, but by people in but secular universities and research institutes. They, they have, they've discovered the power of thankfulness that it can, it can, it's going to relieve your body, mind, and soul in a better place. And they have hard scientific evidence that backs this up. And I, honestly, I could cite a bunch of them. I've done it before. Um, I didn't want to because I didn't really feel like I'd have time this morning. But thankfulness is incredibly powerful. Even the world has realized that thank, thankfulness and thanksgiving is incredibly, incredibly powerful. Um, but when it comes to Thanksgiving, there's something you've got to realize, okay? If I gave Daniel a gift, what would you like to get, Daniel? New guitar. If I gave Daniel a new guitar, if I sent it to his house, I shipped it, and I just God laid it on my heart, and I'm like, man, I want to be generous because I like Daniel. Um, I'm going to give him a new guitar. I sent him a new guitar, and Daniel is, he receives that guitar, and he's incredibly thankful. Daniel, are you thankful for your new guitar? He's incredibly thankful to me for his new guitar, and he's so excited about it, and he loves it, and he plays it, but he never tells me that he's thankful for it. Am I going to know that he was thankful for his guitar? No, probably not, right? Because he hasn't expressed it to me. The Bible talks about giving thanks. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. It says it multiple times in the book of Psalms. Give thanks. Giving is a verb, right? We have to give thanks. It's not enough for us just to have a thankful heart and be thankful. We have to express it somehow. So my encouragement to you is to make Thanksgiving a regular part of your life, whether it's through regular Thanksgiving prayer, whether it's recounting the, thank, the things you're thankful for that God did like I do in my prayer life. Maybe it's a journal. You're, maybe you're a journal person and you like to journal. There has to be an expression of thanksgiving, okay? I know that God sees our heart and I understand that, but sometimes thanksgiving and verbalizing thanksgiving is just as much for us as it is for the Lord. But you need to verbalize. You need to kind of tell God. You need to somehow uh, express that thankfulness in your heart to the Lord. That's why it's called thanksgiving or giving thanks. So I want you to do that. And this morning, so, so that's something for you to take away. And I want you to take away. I want you to, that's why it's called Beyond the Feast, taking Thanksgiving into the rest of your year. But this morning, um, I would also kind of like to practice some Thanksgiving, okay, before we leave. And we have plenty of time, which is great. 
You know, what's interesting is you go back through the Old Testament especially. Well, it's an Old Testament. It's a Hebrew word. I was, as I was studying, I was looking up the word for thanks. Um, and I kept seeing the same word over and over and over again. And there's this word that's it's translated thanks and it's translated praise as well. It's, it's interchangeable. It's translated two different ways. But it's a Hebrew word and the word is yada. And Pastor Barry's actually talked about yada. He, calls, he says yada, sometimes yada, yada. But it's yada is the word for it. And uh, the word yada in the, in the Hebrew literally means to um, extend open hands toward some, toward, towards the person of your affection. Okay, yada. It's like, it's like a child like, going like this to be picked up. That's yada. It's the idea that, you know, when, when I, I've, I, I don't know how I didn't make this connection. Pastor Barry probably talked about it. I, I don't know why I didn't pick this up before. But we talk about raising up hands to God, right? Maybe you've came into the church before and you've seen everybody raise their hands. You're like, what's that all about? And honestly, for the longest time, I've, I, you know, it does say in the Bible, raise holy, or raise holy hands. So it is biblical. And, but I've always thought, you know, it's that. And it's the idea that, you know, if you're surrendering to someone, they have a gun, you're going to put your hands up. And I've always kind of taken that route with it. But man, when I started to see Yada, it's used over 114 times in the Old Testament. Like, it, it was a way of worship. Yada was like, it was a thing that they did, right? So when we're raising hands, and you know what's so weird about it is we think it's so weird in the church, right? Oh my gosh, that church, they raise their hands. That is so weird. Why would they do that? That is just disrespectful, you know? But, but, but check this out. You go to, you go to a, a, you know, like an Indianola high school football game, right? And they're playing someone at homecoming, let's say. And it's, it's tied right till the very end. And then um, Indianola, you know, the other team has the ball, and the other team throws, um, throws it, and there's an interception, and he runs it all the way down for a pick six. What do you do? You stand him and go, that was just great. I just, I love the way that they, I love how the defense just read that, and it was just, it was amazing. <laughs> just, just well done, gentlemen, well done, you know. No, what do you do? Go! you know yes yeah that's what you do right and we don't think it's weird you go to a concert and what's everybody up front doing yeah 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 and it's perfectly acceptable but when you do it in church oh my gosh that is so weird why do they do that it's so weird you know what is yada is built into us we celebrate and we do this why do we do this because God built it into us. It's yada. We're, we're showing our respect. We're showing our thanks. We're showing our praise, right? If you are one of those holdouts in the congregation that does not like to raise your hands, I'm sorry, today's the day, okay? <laughs> it's not weird on the football field. It's not weird at a concert. It shouldn't be weird in here. It is, it is something that has been practiced for thousands of years. And what's weird, honestly, is just standing here and doing this. That's what's weird. Okay, that's the Israelites when they praise, man, they praised. Okay, and there's actually seven words for praise in Hebrew, and a lot of them have to do with the posture of our bodies as we praise. But yada, that is what we're going to practice this morning. So, we're going to. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.